0: Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I'm here as always with Father Stephen Gauthier. Welcome back, Father Stephen.
1: Great to be back, Father Alex.
0: Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is director of formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement. Father Stephen, let's talk about another um, very hip and exciting Greek word, and that word is epiclesis. It's a part of the Eucharistic prayer, um, and you know it's it's funny. Anytime we've got a, a Greek word here, often uh, we're we're thinking of the Eastern Orthodox Church because, of course, that's the the church that maintains the you know, the the Greek liturgies of old. Um and it seems to me, you know, reading through some of church history and things, that this epiclesis thing, this part of their Eucharistic prayer is kind of a big deal to them. Is that fair to say? Uh very much so. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so that, you know, if if you if you bring up, you know, the Eucharist, if you get into a discussion about the Eucharistic prayer with an Orthodox Christian, you're just almost always going to end up talking about about the Epiclesis, um, which is a really central point in the Eucharistic prayer for them. So let's talk about what the Epiclesis is. Um, we'll talk about that word. What does it mean? And then um, what's its history looked like in the Eastern Church and also in the Western Church? And um, you know, if we are Anglicans, especially today, where are we going to find these in our Eucharistic prayers? So let's begin with the term epiclesis.
1: Well, epiclesis, uh, it's funny because a lot of these terms, I'm an old man, is we used to use Latin terms when I was younger. And this uh, mania for the use of the Greek equivalents on many, many things, I love it, but it's actually relatively recent. We used to be called the invocation, the invocatio, because that's the exact Latin word. It means the exact etymology, which means to summon or invoke, basically to call, call down, summon, invoke. Okay, so it's the invocation, calling God to do something. And we started using it, you could use it in various different means, because a lot of times we, we call on God to do something. For example, a classic case of an invocation would be when Elijah asked God to send the fire down in his sacrifice, would be an invocation that way, calling on God to do something. But it came to be used in a technical sense in connection with the Eucharistic prayer. It came to mean a specific reference to the Holy Spirit in the Eucharistic prayer. After all, we have the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Eucharistic prayer is offered to the Father, and we refer throughout to the Son, right? We speak to the Father, and we mention the Son, and in the Eastern Church, which is big on what we call pneumatology, you know, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, is what about the Holy Spirit? And so he's actually specifically mentioned, you know, in 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 the Eucharistic prayer. There is a specific mention of the work of the Holy Spirit as part of the Eucharistic prayer. That's the epiclesis. So the term itself could mean any invocation, but it came to be used in a very specialized sense. Like the term deacon originally meant, you know, in Greek, a servant. But it came to mean someone who is an ordained, you know, minister of the church. So this came to have a very specific limited meaning. And epiclesis was, when we do our Eucharistic prayer, do we specifically refer to the to the Holy Spirit?
0: Okay, so this is invoking the holy spirit in some way or or just or mentioning him referring because to we're him often, yeah, yeah yeah
1: because we're always talking to the father so we you know the father the whole eucharistic prayer is addressed to the father so we could be talking about for the father to send the spirit to do something okay so we're talking about a mention of the whole the work of the holy spirit and how it affects this eucharistic prayer
0: okay so let's talk about the epiclesis in the eastern church um, why is it so and and you know, well let's tell the story of, you know, why does it become so important, so critical to that tradition?
1: Well, actually, initially, uh the epiclesis in some form, the mention of the Holy Spirit is is virtually universal. But we have, for example, Hippolytus, the Eucharistic prayer of Hippolytus is from the Roman church in the third century. And after the words of institution, you know, this is my body, this is my blood. Now, we have the anamnesis, you know, in remembrance of this, and then we would have this special prayer. But here, it, what it asks, it says, it says to the Father, send your Holy Spirit upon the offering of your Holy Church, that you gathering them into one would grant that all your saints who partake be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it says nothing about changing the elements or the Holy Spirit, doing something specific, but it does mention send your Holy Spirit. Yeah, I was you about know, to say,
0: of s- send your Holy Spirit on the Church.
1: On the church and actually more for unity but it does specifically mention father because the whole prayer is addressed to god the father we pray to god the father through the son in the holy spirit so the whole eucharistic prayer is prayed to the father you know we're addressing the father and it says send your holy spirit upon the offerings of your holy church but it doesn't say to change the offering you know to make them for us the body and blood of your son however by the time we get to the fourth century in the eastern church we have Uh, some classic examples of three great prayers, Eucharistic prayers, um, that all came up with the form that we think of as typically Eastern now. Uh, That is, for example, we look, first of all, we have the the Eucharistic prayer of St. James from the 4th century. We have the Eucharistic prayer of St. Basil from the 4th century. And we have John Chrysostom from the 4th century. So we have three great Eucharistic prayers in the Eastern Church. And each one of them does something. First of all, let's talk with St. James. Where do we locate the, the epiclesis? We put it after the words of, in, after the institution, because we'll have the anamnesis, you know, in re, recalling now your death and resurrection, uh, you know, your, your passion and death, your resurrection. Then we have the words, we say, have mercy upon us, O God, our Father, and send upon these offerings your Holy Spirit, so that by his indwelling, he may make this bread, the life-giving body, the redeeming body and blood of Christ, our God that he may perfect the cup into the the blood of the new covenant, the redeeming blood, the blood of Christ our God, so that they may sanctify the souls and bodies of those who partake of them. So notice there are two parts to this. First of all, we're specifically asking the Holy Spirit, we want you to take this bread and wine and, and transform it for us. Make it more than bread and wine. Make it for us the body and blood of your son. And we also pray for a change in us. This is a double epiclesis in the sense that we're praying that not only do we need God is going to offer us this, but we need to be transformed ourselves with worthy reception so that they may sanctify the souls and bodies of those who partake them. So send your Holy Spirit on
0: the bread and the wine, but also onto us, change both of them.
1: Right. St. Basil, it's going to sound very similar after, you know, after the words of institution we have, um, uh, your, okay, um, your Holy Spirit may come upon us and see, upon us, and upon these gifts here set forth, and that he may bless, sanctify, and show forth this bread to be the precious body of our Lord Jesus Christ, and this cup to be the precious blood of our Lord, Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ. Transforming the gifts and sanctifying, you know, sanctify us and sanctify also these gifts. By the way, we use that in the 1979 prayer book, we use a form of that, the prayer of St. Basil is the form of the Eucharistic prayer, basically the form of that, that we use for um, in, in Eucharistic prayer D in the 1979 prayer book.
0: Right. I was about to say that sounds very similar.
1: And it's traditionally in the Eastern Church, in the, in the um, uh, Byzantine Church, in the Greek Church, it's typically used during Lent. Then we have the Prayer of St. John Chrysostom, which is the one that is normally used, except in Lent, essentially, by the, by the, by the Byzantine Church, the Greek Church. And we have this classic case again, after the words of institution, send down your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts lying before us and make this bread the precious body of your Christ and that which is in this chalice, the precious blood of your Christ, changing them by your Holy Spirit. So we see in all of these prayers, you know, Basil, uh, the the prayer of James, uh, the prayer of John Chrysostom, in all of them, we see this idea that after the words of institution, You know, so after we said, this is my body, this is my blood, actually, actually after the Anamnesis too, we then say, now send your spirit to transform all of this. So what happens because we're praying it this way is the Eastern church came to say, well, that's the, that's the moment we're asking the Holy Spirit to do that right now. Send your spirit father to do this. So they became, they began focusing in the Eastern church that that is the moment, you know, so to speak is the, the key moment of the Eucharistic prayer. You know, we have asked God, like the fire coming down for Elijah. Now send your spirit for this transformation.
0: Okay, so it's, so everyone agrees that, you know, the elements change in some way, but when, you know, when in the prayer? So like if the priest drops dead during the Eucharistic prayer, how do we know that he got it done? Right. (laughs) Okay.
1: Exactly. Matter of fact, later on, this became a key point of division with the Western church. And matter of fact, they would mock us sometimes by calling us bread worshipers. Because since the words of institution, you know, come, they would say, well, you know, you're already, because people would bow to, you know, bow to the consecrated elements. Oh, before, before.
0: yeah, okay. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Without it, yeah, I see. All I I can tell
1: you wouldn't make any difference because we didn't have an epiclesis that way.
0: Right. But if we did, it would be in the wrong. (laughs) Right. Well. Well, let's, uh, but the, the the point is that the Eastern tradition really takes the epiclesis as that's the big moment. Central. That's what that we're looking for. That is central.
1: Because the Holy Spirit is always operative in the sacraments. You know, it's a key notion. The Holy Spirit it's pneumatology. You know, the, the role of the Holy Spirit is key. God functions through his Holy Spirit. It's you know, through his Spirit he draws us to Christ. It's in the Spirit that this is all transformed. Send your Spirit to make these gifts for us <laughs> the body and blood of Christ. That's God works through his Holy Spirit.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the history of the Epiclesis in the Western Church then. You know, we've definitely, the Western Church and the Eastern Church are definitely two streams of the same faith that end up running apart more and more over time. Um, but, so obviously we're descended from the same root here, but how, do, how does the Epiclesis find its way into the Western liturgy?
1: Well, it's actually sort of how it finds its way out, because we say originally the prayer of has an although it uh, doesn't talk about transforming the elements, but it still talks mentions the Holy Spirit. And what probably is, is the key change is we know by the time of, uh, of Ambrose of Milan, it seems that he's indicating he thinks the key moment is the words, this is my body, this is my blood, which is traditional Western position. And so, you know, sort of odd after you've already said this has happened to be praying for the Holy Spirit to do what's already been done. So that probably has something to do with a change in the location. So what we have, first of all, is starting from the early, from no later than the early seventh century, we start finding that, that when there's, first of all, when we have an application, it's before the words of institution, not after, because the idea of it's not going to actually transform, so to speak, until we say, this is my body, this is my blood Actually, in Catholic seminaries, they used to joke about this. They said, well, what's the purpose of the Epiclesis? They called it the landing lights compared to an airport. When the Holy Spirit does his thing, this is where you land. <laughs> <laughs> so right before you'd have the prayer, you know, for the, the, the words of institution, you'd say, the Holy Spirit, now in a minute, I'm going to ask you to transform these. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That was a seminary joke. Oh, in Catholic <laughs> seminaries. They were the landing, the Epiclesis was the landing. But it wasn't much of an Epiclesis. Let me read it to you in this sense. Tell me what's missing. Humbly, we pray you, O God, be pleased to make this offering wholly blessed, to consecrate it and approve it, making it reasonable and acceptable so that it may become for us the body and blood of your dearly beloved son. Whom do we not mention?
0: Yeah, well, there's no mention of the Holy Spirit. Duh,
1: yes, the Holy <laughs> Spirit is not mentioned. Huh, okay, yeah. And even then we talk that it may become for us, and you know, here, this is tying to the idea what the key moment's going to happen. This is right before the, before the institutions, or of institutions.
0: So the the epiclesis here is just kind of almost sounds like a throat clearing for the words of institution. You know, this is my body. This is my bro- blood here. Um, so if you're an Eastern Christian, you're looking at this, you're like, hey, you, you've missed the whole point. You've missed the moment that the Holy Spirit is 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 right now making this stuff happen.
1: Well, most important, we don't mention the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the so press is the the father, father does now he'll do it through the spirit. You know, the West would argue that it's all inherent in the words. Sure. What the Father does, he does through the Spirit, therefore. But we took what is an explicit mention, so we have all three members of the Trinity showing their role. Just as all three were present in Calv- Calvary in different ways, you know, as part of this, is we now remove him entirely. And again, it's placed in front under the idea that uh, we're getting ready. We're going to take that the high point, the climax, is going to be the words of institution. This is my body. This is my blood.
0: Okay. So what happens later? What happens in the 20th century? And, and, you know, the I mean, we actually, the the fact that I'm even familiar with the word epiclesis um, is testament to some changes, I'm sure. So, so how do we get um, the epiclesis back in the West?
1: In liturgical movement, it is so obvious that the epiclesis is important historically that people said when we began revising our liturgy, saying we need to get back to the Easter, and also because of ecumenical concerns with the Orthodox Church. This is ancient, ancient practice, and you know, we have no objection to what they're saying. There's no theological objection as such to praying for the, whole, you know, the Holy Spirit and things. So wouldn't it be better? So basically, people began adopting an epiclesis. Now, in the Second Vatican Council, it's really interesting what they did at Rome. In Roman Catholic, what they had is, of course, they kept the traditional prayer as an option, but they they added three new Eucharistic prayers as possibilities, which are by far more common in practice. And in each case, they decided to have two different epicleses. They have one in front saying, you know, send your spirit upon these, you know, and I'll read it for you a little later, uh, what the words they have for that, okay, but they have it before the elements, but then they have a separate one after the elements for us to be transformed. Remember we had talked about sanctify us and sanctify these elements? Mm -hmm. They sanctify, they ask to pray for the elements to be sanctified before the words of institution, which is consistent with Roman practice. You know, the idea that this is the moment. We're saying, Holy Spirit, in a moment, we're asking you to make this happen. Whereas they have a second epiclesis, they could have something similar to the East right after, which says, and sanctify us also. So they take part of the epiclesis, you know, the part that refers to the gifts being transformed by the Holy Spirit, and they put that clearly with the Holy Spirit mentioned, they put that in front of the words of institution. Then they have the second half, so we can have an epiclesis like the Eastern churches do, but they only keep the part about and make, you know, sanctify us. So they take a single prayer and divide it, and they want to keep one in the same place the, the the, the Orthodox had it but they will still want and consistent with their theology to keep the part about transformation before the transformation occurs as they see it.
0: Okay. So we call in the her- they call in the Holy spirit to, um, to change the elements, then words of institution. Then there's calling on the Holy spirit to change us. So they, yes. so they kind of split it. Okay. Yeah. that makes. And the sense. point
1: is they're very clear. It's the Holy spirit. The second thing they do is they wanted to keep, they wanted to do that, but they still wanted to keep an Epiclesis. You're expecting Epiclesis if you're an Eastern Christian. So they want to put one, you know, where Eastern Orthodox expect it to be. So they kept, they kept half of it so they could put it in this right place. That makes sense. Okay. And this, if you're Eastern Orthodox, you come to our church, you can hear an Epiclesis where you expect there to be an Epiclesis. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But as Roman Catholics, we think it should be before. So we're going to have two Epiclesis. We're going to have one in front that's going to be the portion of that single epicles is going to talk about transforming the gifts. Love the one, uh, other words afterwards. Sure. Sure. Now it's intriguing for people who are really into this to know as a technical matter, you know, there are a lot of Eastern Catholic, Catholic right Christians, like Byzantine, right, et cetera.
0: They've always used
1: the Eastern Orthodox, the Eastern prayers.
0: Hmm.
1: Hmm. So you understand we've always had that in in churches that are in union with Rome, we've always had people using prayers that have had the Epiclesis after the words of consecration for Eastern Rite Catholics.
0: Okay. I see. I see. So that those are, those are the, you know, Catholics in communion with Rome, but who have, um, an Eastern form of the
1: liturgy. Yeah. Like, especially we talk like Byzantine Rite Catholics.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. But this, the really though, the, you know, bringing the Epiclesis back in specifically the mention of the holy spirit in the prayer at all i mean this is a big this is a big win for for ecumenism and it really comes from the 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 eastern insistence on that being a, a focal. well it point. comes
1: as much from the overwhelming evidence that this was the original way throughout the church sure yeah when people began looking at the earliest liturgies they're saying we shouldn't have dropped this and again to have a eucharistic prayer that doesn't mention the holy spirit we have three members of the holy trinity you know, not to mention the work of the Holy Spirit. It seems certainly a desideratum, something we'd want to do. Yeah,
0: seems like bad form.
1: <laughs> um,
0: okay, so that's Roman Catholicism. Um, how? What's the view from the Anglican Church? You know, we participate in these liturgical reforms as well, but do
1: we? Did we need to? Do we need to put that epiclesis back in? We have an interesting history this way. In 1662, which is sort of the, the classic uh, prayer book as far as that we go back to for doctrine and things, is there is no Epiclesis, which is consistent with the fact that we're basically following Roman practice. You look at the Roman Eucharistic prayer, and there wasn't for any practical purpose a real Epiclesis. So there is no Epiclesis of any sort in, really in the, the 1662 Eucharistic prayer. In the 1928 prayer book that we had here in North America in the United States, we actually added an epiclesis after the words of institution. A really good one. It says, Vow save to bless and sanctify with your word and Holy Spirit these thy gifts and creatures of bread and wine, that we receiving them according to thy Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, holy institution, in remembrance of death and passion, may be partakers of his most blessed body and blood. So it's a really good restoration of the epiclesis. In 1979, we pres- they have basically four Eucharist, uh, they have, uh, forward, they have a f- right one, which is basically the 28 prayer book, which is continued. And that's the same as the 19, you know, the, is, I'm saying is 1928. Okay. They have the right one. Then we have Eucharistic prayers, A, B, C, and D. A, B, and C all, uh, all put it after the words of institution. It's really very orthodox. We have it after the words of institution. A, B, and D. C, which is called the Star Wars Canon, if you're an Episcopal, you know what that is. It's really terrible. Yeah, it's
0: it's pretty dated. It kind of has reference to galaxies and stuff in it.
1: Interstellar space, vast <laughs> re- regions of interstellar space. It's it really has not aged well. Uh, well, Eucharist Repair C actually put it before the words of institution. Mm-hmm. Okay. But basically, what we have is four of the five different possibilities. Restore the the. Um, uh, the Epiclesis to, its, uh, to the uh, place that we'd have in the Orthodox service. Now, what about the 2019 Book of Common Prayer? Well, it's interesting. We have our basic, the stand, we have two different uh, Eucharistic prayers. One's called the Anglican Standard Text, and call, one's called the Renewed Ancient Text. The Anglican Standard Text is based on 1662, which doesn't have a, an Epiclesis. Guess what they did? They add an epiclesis, but they put it in front of the words of institution. So now, O merciful Father, in your great goodness, we ask of you to bless and sanctify with your word and Holy Spirit these gifts of bread and wine. Basically, they take the epiclesis from the 1928 prayer book. And they put it in front rather than behind. Why in front? I would suspect that the real reason for that would be, we say, for example, in the Anglican in the Lambeth quadrilateral we believe the key element in the Eucharist, you know, the one thing we emphasis on the words of institution. So it probably saying, well, it's more consistent with that. So they decided to it's sort of going back to, yeah, we want an epiclesis. But we want a consistent sort of Western understanding. They have a footnote, by the way, printed on this. It says this paragraph does not occur in the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, but ecumenical consensus expects its use. So their basic view is we don't want to do many changes in the 1662 prayer book. But if we're going to do it, let's put the epiclesis in front, you know, that's where the Roman Catholic equivalent of was, was, let's put it in front of the, of the words of institution, consistent with the notion that the key thing is, is this is my body, this is my blood. And the renewed ancient text is they basically put it afterwards, after the words of institution, you know, like everybody else. And so we have... Uh, what we have is sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son Jesus Christ. Sanctify us also that we may worthily receive. So we're basically saying the renewed ancient text is is orthodox. Sure, you know sure. It's, it's afterwards. Yeah, In both elements, clear
0: elements, and afterwards. So there's there's both options there, but the the Anglican standard at, at this point is is a little bit more Western because it puts it before
1: the words of institution. There- and there are two reasons. One is, you could say, one reason would be saying, if we're trying to say what would be contemporaneous with this, is, would have been the Roman Eucharistic prayer. And the Roman Eucharistic prayer, the closest thing they had to an epiclesis was located ahead. So historically, you could say this is more cons- historically consistent with 1662, and it fits in with our theology very, very well. Whereas the renewed ancient text is doing it, everybody's doing You know, the Eastern prayer is the oldest prayer, as you have it, and you have it afterwards. Um
0: all right. Well, so that's the that's the history. That's the where the epiclesis has gone, both in the Eastern and Western churches. Um but maybe we could conclude by, you know, talking about what's the the upshot of all of this uh theologically, what's kind of our our takeaway for the man in the pew about knowing
1: more about this uh this component of the Eucharistic prayer. Well, the notion of actually recognizing the Holy Spirit as part of this, expressly recognizing the work of the Holy Spirit is certainly uh, something I think most everyone could get behind. You know, so that's uh, really, uh, because after all, we emphasize that everything God, uh, we, we do, everything God does, he does as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person the Trinity acts in their own way, but we talk about common action in theology. When God's doing anything, all three person, persons are involved. If the cross is the Father who's giving His Son, the Son, you know, who is who is offering Himself, and he and the result of both is the gift of the Holy Spirit to us, you know, it releases the Holy Spirit. But another thing, you know, I think we have a beautiful Anglican um, solution to the whole problem of, you know, talking about some moment is the best way. I tell people when I'm training people, new new priests, and celebrating the liturgy is we look upon this as Anglicans as sort of a seamless garment, trying to find a moment within the liturgy. (laughs) You know, so we simply say, so instead of having dramatic moments of reverence after the words of, you know, the words of institution or after the epiclesis, is simply say we have the great amen. That's the thing like, you know, where we all bow typically is after the great amen saying the train's not in the station until it's in the station.
0: Yeah. So the emphasis for us is on kind of on the whole prayer as it were right it's it's on the whole thing not a specific moment
1: as a priest you know is what do we do if we have to if we have to consecrate some additional elements like some additional bread and things and i must admit what i do which i think is typical for a lot of people would be the combination of lord um at the night before he was betrayed he took bread when he given thanks he blessed it he gave it to them saying this is my body given for you Father, send your Spirit upon this uh, upon this bread to make it for us the body of your Son. Sort of a combination of those two together sure. is forming. So that's what I do when I consecrate extra extra bread or extra wine. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Um. Well, great. Well, yeah. I mean, I think
0: it's it's really important and really powerful to, um, first of all, remember that you know all three members of the Trinity be you know mentioned in the in the Eucharistic prayer. You know, they all are doing the same thing all together. And, but also I, I love also the, the, the aspect of the double epiclesis that it's talking about those gifts, but it's also talking about us. It's talking about how the, 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 result of this is to, that we become changed to be in, in Christ's image. So I think that's just a, a beautiful part of the invocation there.
1: Yeah. Something I can help is we talked in another episode is in in the 39 articles we say that it you know that the um that when we receive the the bread and the wine when we receive the elements you know that we're being offered you know the body and blood of christ but we also say that if you receive unworthily, you're not getting them so how does that work together and i think that works beautifully with the double epiclesis i have a picture i use for training it's a real picture it's not a, a faked one that somebody apparently had a, had a food fight over a bridge or something, somewhere in the third world, I imagine, is that you see this bridge, but it doesn't meet in the middle. People insisted that they were the right way, and so you see that the two parts of the bridge, it's like a Lego bridge or something, don't meet. It's a real bridge. You know, they were going to be stubborn, you know, who's who's Right. And so you could say it's like that and simply saying God from his side is giving us truly everything we need. We're really truly being offered his body, you know, you know, the elements, you know, to receive his body and blood. But we can't receive them unless we meet by, if we receive them worthily. And so I think that idea of the double epiclesis, you know, we want you to make them for us, but we need to be worthy in order to really receive it. It's really being offered. The bridge is fine on your side. But if we don't meet up with it, it's not going to do us any good.
0: Right, right. Yeah, if we're not willing. Well, thanks so much, Father Stephen. Thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back again next week for more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening.